Hello and welcome to another episode of the Let's Plan Your Wedding podcast. I'm breaking this episode into two because there's so much to discuss. Let's tackle the invite in part one and addressing the envelopes in part two. There's even going to be a bonus episode for the most common pitfalls I see in wedding invitations, and you can put your drafted invite to the test against my most common pitfalls that almost every invitation I receive does at least one of these things wrong. It's fitting that we should revisit what I call print materials, specifically invitations, at the end of our season two together. Overall, season one was all about phase one of wedding planning, which started with dreaming up your day and ended with mailing your save the dates. Now it's time to wrap up season two, which has tracked with phase two of wedding planning, beginning with researching and hiring all of your vendors in turn and ending with making and sending your invitations. Many couples underestimate the task of mailings and guest communication slash event branding in general. Whether you have a passion for design or not, your event has a feeling. It has visuals, particularities that are unique. You're creating an event and also a vibe. Anything you put online or mail to guests communicates this vibe. And now that your event is taking shape, it's a great time to share what you've dreamed up with your guests. And of course, logistically, invitations provide essential information that enable your guests to easily prepare for and plan to attend your event. So let's get into it. Okay, I'm kind of crazy passionate about invitations, but I'm going to try to keep this episode moving. We're going to talk about what invitations should look like what it should include verbiage-wise, and to end, my recommendations for getting this accomplished with different budgets. Let's start with what they should look like. Are they printed and mailed, or are they emailed and or texted to your guests? For many couples, they want to use the work they did for the Save the Dates phase, again here for the invitations. So if you did an evite, or an emailed or texted Save the Date, you have everyone's phone numbers and or their email addresses, It could be tempting, and it honestly could be a good idea, to use electronic invitations as well. What I'll say is the advantage to electronic invites is you're able to communicate with your guests, giving them updated information as the event gets closer. With mailed invitations, you're really not able to do that in the same way. Even with that advantage, I still prefer mailed invitations. I think they really are a sweet keepsake, and it also communicates that this is a wedding. It's an elevated event. People are getting a lot of evites for bridal showers and for other birthday parties and events. So I think it's special that weddings have a place in your mailbox and you put them on the fridge. And for most people, they like to receive that mailed invitation. It's also considered more formal if the invites are mailed. So if you're having a formal event, you might want to keep that in mind. All that being said, I've been invited via email to weddings. If that's what's best for you to be able to track your RSVPs and communicate with your guests, By all means, go for it, but I will say the majority of people choose to do a printed and mailed invitation. For paper invitations, maybe you already found something that worked well for you with the save the dates. Did you use Etsy? Did you use an online website like Minta.com, The Knot, Artifact Uprising, or Zola? A lot of these sites are great because they have features to integrate your website, your registry, and your invitation building all in one place. They also have an area to hold your contact list, so if you use them for the save the dates, it's going to be easy for you to create another mailing for your invitations. Number two, let's talk about what your invites should include verbiage-wise. Most wedding invites for a one-day wedding are on one side of a single cardstock piece of paper that includes the first and last names of who's getting married, a mention of their families, if their families are involved, the date of the wedding, 
the venue name and address, the time of the ceremony, and the URL to the wedding website and or another way for guests to RSVP. So let's break these items down, including the parent's name as a banner head. When I see verbiage like, Mr. and Mrs. John Smith invite you to the wedding of their daughter, that traditionally is code for the bride's parents are hosting this event. Even though the couple is the guest of honor, the parents are likely sponsoring the event, either financially or emotionally. They're probably very active in the event's planning. Below the groom's name, there may also be a nod to the groom's side, as supporters either financially, relationally, or both, by saying the groom's name, together with their parents, Mr. and Mrs. Galt. So this example, the most traditional, says Mr. and Mrs. John Smith invite you to the wedding of their daughter, Amanda Smith, to Garrett Galt, son of Mr. and Mrs. Bill Galt. We're going to talk about names in the envelope, but you're seeing here that ultra-traditional naming of a couple being the Mr. and Mrs. first name, Bill Galt. So we'll break that down if that doesn't make sense, but that's really the, the traditional way to say it. I say far more common and less formal, perhaps, is a more inclusive form of language that says you're inviting to the wedding of name of person one to name of person two, and then below the names of the couple, it says together with their families. Together with their families verbiage is still insinuating that there's support from the families, and if that works for you, that's great. Maybe your families are contributing financially or else they're just emotionally on board and you want to honor that connection that they support this marriage. That's a great option. Let's say that's not the case, sadly. If families aren't involved for any reason, a couple can simply remove that verbiage altogether and it can say you're invited to the wedding of person one to person two and just move forward with the date, the venue, all the other details we're going to talk about. The date lists the month, day, and year. And for more formal invitations, everything is spelt out. So February is spelt out and even like two, February 2nd would be S-E-C-O-N-D and the year is even spelt out. Or actually it might even be the 2nd of February, all spelt out. Venue. Overall, the order of the save the date, the time, the venue, these details can be listed in any order that makes sense within the design that you've selected. But I'll say if it's a wedding venue, Say the venue name and the address that can be used to navigate the venue. People who just put the venue name confuse their guests. Maybe there's multiple Redwood hideaways in Northern California. And just the address doesn't allow people to Google the venue website, which I always find helpful to do as a guest preparing for a wedding. If I Google Redwood hideaway, now I can see different elements of the terrain and just the vibe of the venue. If your wedding is on private property, you can just put the address that's routable. Or you can say Smith residence and then the address to show that it's on private property. Time. Um, so you may not have considered yet what time you want the ceremony to start for sure, but you will need to map this out before making your invites to ensure you give guests the correct information. Now may be the right time to get on the phone with an on-site coordinator or consult a month of planner to brainstorm a rough day of schedule before committing to a ceremony start time. It used to be that the later ceremony start time was for more formal weddings. But I'll say that now, many venues have mandatory noise curfews, so even formal weddings can start earlier in the day to allow for everything to happen, the dinner and the dancing to follow. Consider if you will do a first look before the ceremony to allow for you to tackle some photography beforehand, or if not, remember that a later ceremony start time makes for a long morning prepping, and maybe that's good so you can sleep in or have plenty of time for your glam, or maybe that's not ideal for your nerves. Many vendors have ballparked their coverage window for you in their contracts, 
So it's likely that you've given ceremony start time some thought, but do some back of the napkin math. So if it's a 3 p.m. ceremony, 30 minutes long, then you've got an hour, an hour and a half for cocktail hour. Does that put you at a good time to get your guests seated for dinner? How long is that going to take to get everyone through dinner? Maybe you need to send a quick email to your caterer to figure that out. Where does that put you against your noise curfew? I always recommend Googling what time your sunset is and seeing if that makes sense for where you'll be. Maybe you want to sneak away to get some photographs. So determining that ceremony start time can be a challenge, but you do need to have a good game plan for that moving forward to put that on your invitation. I have seen people put something on the invite that later had to change. It's very tricky to communicate that with guests. So I recommend getting it right and moving the rest of the event around that. The last piece on your invite will be a way to RSVP. Many couples say, please RSVP and find more information at our website and list the website URL. Sometimes people will even say the deadline for the RSVP on the invitation. I'm a proponent of this because it will be a reminder to guests as it hangs maybe on their fridge or it sits on their desk. Remember to set your RSVP deadline four to six weeks before your event. This is a modern day change. It used to be advised to mail invites two months in advance and expect all RSVPs to be received more like two weeks out from the event. This is insane to me. I do not recommend this at all. I say mail your invites four to six months in advance, but with enough time to get your website up and running and the details of the event solidified to a point that guests can make their plans around it. And unless your event is a destination, really, even then, Four to six months is a sweet spot to stoke guests' excitement and get them involved in planning their travel in a good amount of time. I'm a planner by nature, and part of me wants to receive every wedding invitation a year in advance, but I will say as a guest, four months out really is a sweet spot. It hits guests in a time where they don't have too many other vacations or weddings on the books. They're looking ahead to the coming season, and with all the info that you've given them, They are ready to book a flight or a hotel room, so four to six months is a good marker. And if you're coming in more like two or three months before the date, still push for a tight turnaround on those RSVPs. The reality is that you're giving yourself the time you need. You need one or two weeks to track down the stragglers either way, so don't let that tight timeline discourage you. At that point, people should know, you know, two or three months ahead if they're going to be able to come Still set that RSVP deadline and give yourself a month to track people down. Okay, sorry, tangent over for the timing of invites, but as far as that RSVP, there are options. The most traditional way would be that you would include a physical, albeit smaller, little business card size RSVP card in your physical mailing. You would address it so that your guests would only need to fill it out and send it back to you in the mail. This allows guests to mark themselves and maybe even doubles as a way for guests to select their entree choice if you're doing a plated meal or if your caterer needs any other guest allergies or preferences. Now, this is a little bit expensive because you're putting postage on those little cards so that people can easily put them back in the mailbox. And so if the expense is an issue or if you just don't feel like people are going to use it because you have your website, another option is a hybrid approach. You have an online RSVP tracker on your website, and you tell guests on the invitation to visit the website to RSVP. But for guests who you know will appreciate the option to use an RSVP card, or if this is just a, you know, a drag down argument between you and another member of your family that for some reason they really want you to have these cards, just use it where it makes sense. Have a small batch of these cards that you can throw into mailings, maybe your sweet intergenerational grandmas and grandpas, or maybe you know your parents have a, a list of people that they want the invites to look a little more formal, 
for whatever reason or to have these as an option, that's absolutely fine. Just apply them into the invites that make sense. I always tell people no one's comparing invitations, really. Um, I mean, <laughs> there's probably an extent where you don't want people to be receiving different information. But if you want to allow these more analog versions for a smaller group of people who you feel will use it, um, by all means, and we're going to talk about, you know, you absolutely can address people's envelopes differently depending on the formality level you feel is appropriate for different people. So, so that's going to come in the next episode as well. So that's the hybrid approach. And then what I'm seeing, the last option, it's much, much more commonly used now that you are just tracking, receiving all RSVPs online. So you tell your guests to RSVP on the website, you include the website URL, and then on your website is an easy to use RSVP function that is where you're going to also collect any of the dietary restrictions or meal choices if you need to for your guests and they're going to RSVP there. I will say that the advantage of having everything in one way is you don't have to wait for the mailings to be mailed back to you um, with those little cards. And if everyone's using the online portal, then you don't have to cobble together the cards you're receiving with the online RSVPs. Website URL. Those who have opted to wait to release their website until the invitations are sent out, now is your time. Those who have also included the URL on their save the dates should still reiterate the link's URL here. But here's the thing. This means you also need to go to your wedding website and really fill it in. Once invitations are received, guests will flood to the website. They will. And the impression it gives will reiterate the information you are spending a great deal of time and money on printing on your invitations. So take your time to cross-check your website. Fill in the places of recommended hotels, nearby airport information, updated information about the parking, the venue considerations, and such. Make sure your registry is available and loaded with items that haven't gone out of stock or been bought up by bridal shower guests. Add more items in those common price ranges, $30 to $60 gifts, if many of them have already been taken. And be sure your online RSVP tracker is available and working on your website before you mail your invites. Let's talk about some optional things to include on your invitation. A dress code. I have a whole podcast episode in season one about dress code. It's worth checking out because dress codes are a bit tricky for guests and often cause more confusion than clarity. That being said, if your event is more formal than your average wedding, I do recommend putting your dress code on the invitation. This applies to cocktail attire, formal dress, black tie optional, and black tie weddings, or even the white tie wedding. Wouldn't we all love to be invited to a white tie wedding? If you aren't sure what your event is, listen to that episode. I really riddle it out with you within that episode. Even if your event is very formal, you could opt instead to list it just on the wedding website, not on the invitation. Let's say your event is a typical level of formality. I recommend not putting a wedding dress code and instead giving any details needed about the terrain of the venue or the weather in an FAQ section on the website. Saying things like semi-formal attire will just confuse the heck out of everyone, even though that's technically what a lot of weddings fall into category-wise. Now let's say you have a particular theme to your wedding. It's a beach wedding, a destination wedding in Bali, a wedding on a mountaintop in Yosemite, a western-style wedding where cowboy boots are welcome. I will say the website is the perfect place to put this information as well. I don't recommend putting it on the invitation. You can use a note on the main website homepage about attire, ceremony to take place on the sand, or reception will take place outside, we recommend you bring layers, or with that cowboy boot example, 
bring your dancing shoes. We hope they're cowboy boots. And I love a frequently asked questions section, a thank you section on a website. This is the least utilized part of any couple's website. The most frequently asked questions are actually, what do I wear? And second to that, how do I get there and where do I park? But so few FAQ sections are even filled out. And if they are, they never address these questions. I just don't understand it. It's the perfect place to tell your guests how to be safe, comfortable, and in keeping with the spirit of your event. I want to say I don't really believe in telling people what they need to wear, but I do believe in giving guests as much information as they need to feel prepared for your day. I do not recommend ever putting the registry information on your invitation. I know we do it with invites for bridal showers, but those don't typically have websites. So if you don't have a wedding website, consider at least putting it on the back or on a separate insert card. But really, I recommend the website. If you have a website, use that for your online registry because then the linking is going to be much easier for guests. And it's a bit tacky, in my opinion, on that beautiful invitation, which is a keepsake to your guests to say your registry information. Now, if you have a multi-day, multi-event, wedding extravaganza week slash weekend, you may want an invitation that has more room to detail the many events that all of the guests are invited to. This means your invitation may be more like a booklet or a trifold piece of paper or a brochure. There are templates for these as well. I recommend this only for weddings that truly are multi-day and that multiple events are open to everyone. So if every guest is invited to multiple events per day, or the wedding spans more than two locations or has lots of details that need to be communicated, go for it. Create this trifold brochure. I would say that most people don't want to spend the money on this very elaborate invitation if those multiple events aren't open to everyone. Because what you can do instead is have a beautiful invitation for the wedding day, or even if the wedding day spans maybe two different locations, you can still put that on maybe one or two pieces of paper, but then they're going to create other invitations, maybe an evite for the day after brunch that's only going to the family. The wedding rehearsal can be a separate little mailed invitation that's done later at a later date. You know, so that's what most typically people do. They're not going to spend the money on this big elaborate mailing unless truly you need to let every guest know that there's a real flow to the weekend. There's lots of different locations. There's lots of things you need to be aware of right from the start from your mailed invitation. Other things that are helpful would be shuttle information and parking. Shuttle information is a big piece of the puzzle um, if that's the case for you. I would recommend still being clear about the ceremony start time on the front of the invitation and then on the back, and you can even list on the front more details on the back of the invite. As they turn over the invitation, there's going to be a paragraph explaining where you need to park in order to be picked up and the timing for that. We're going to talk about this in my common pitfalls episode, but I never recommend lying to your guests. They're going to figure it out. They're going to sit there 30 minutes before your ceremony starts and figure out that you've lied to them about the ceremony start time. I'm not a fan of it. Now, if you've got a wedding planner and they are telling you to lie to your guests about the ceremony start time, list it for 30 minutes before, go ahead and take the advice of your wedding planner. But if you're asking me, I would say keep your ceremony start time the same. If you have to shuttle your guests, it's not just, oh, you want to shuttle them. You have to. That's what the venue requires. If I was in charge, I would potentially advise you to list the cutoff time for when the shuttles stop running. I would list that a little before they actually do. So I'm basically saying you can lie to your guests about the shuttle times. 
tell them that the shuttles end maybe 15, 20, or even 30 minutes before they actually end. And then that final shuttle will pick up people who truly were not able to make that that cutoff. You should definitely check with your shuttle people before you put all that verbiage online, but I would say that's a good game plan. And generally, my advice as far as getting people to this ceremony on time is that that's not your job. And all you can do is give people the information they need to find the place efficiently, to park where they need to park, to get themselves there. You do need to communicate with them if that's going to take a, a long time, if there's a long distance to travel that they need to walk a long ways. Um, those, those are helpful details on your wedding website. And lastly, for this episode, here are my suggestions for the best ways to accomplish wedding invitations based on your budget. So for the laid back couple, the DIY couple, or the extremely budget conscious couple, I say build an invitation on canva.com for free. That's C-A-N-V-A.com, Canva, for free. Um, Or use Etsy or Paperless Post. Anything that gives you a printable PDF, these are really inexpensive. They're like $3 to $12. You can customize them, put them on a thumb drive. You can print them out from your home computer or bring it to a UPS store to have them printed out on a nice cardstock. So really the expense comes from just buying the template, customizing it yourself on your computer, printing it out, And then you might want to invest in a good paper cutter just because that can be tedious. If you're printing them two to a page or four to to a page, you're going to need to cut them all and put them in an envelope. The envelopes can be bought in bulk. They can be hand addressed with a friend with really good handwriting, or you can print out a label on your home computer or even print um, right onto the envelopes. I've done that before where you put the envelopes in the printer and you're able to print the address right onto them. I've helped friends with this strategy, going to the UPS store and having someone help us. And it's, you can spend less than $100 for invitations for large weddings, but it definitely has a manual component to it. So for couples who want a mid-range option, which will utilize some of the convenience of these websites that will do it for you, I definitely recommend sites like Zola, Minted.com, The Knot. These will also give you those printable PDFs where you have designed with them how your name fits and all of your details fit onto their design, they're going to print, cut, and mail them to you ready to be stuffed into an envelope. So you don't have to worry about the home printing element. Also, if you've already added all the addresses onto like a minted.com for your save the dates, um, this is a really easy flow to get all those onto the envelope so you don't have to hand address your envelopes. You can even pay extra for them to do the return address on the back of the envelope if you don't wanna have to write that out or print it out onto a label. This option is usually $100 or $200 as a starting point and it doesn't usually exceed $400 in my experience. So I think this is a really great option for couples. Another mid-range option that can be surprisingly high-end is Etsy. Beyond the printable PDFs, some Etsy users are able to make custom invitations, but they make and print your wedding invitations and their custom designs. So in this case, it's not a template. It's really something that they have that's super special and unique. You're basically getting kind of a calligrapher. In a lot of cases, they will have not just the invitation, but a whole suite of insert options like RSVP cards, meal selection cards, or a detail card for more info like other events. This option can get pricey, but I like exploring it with couples who aren't really happy with the selection from minted.com and they want something more elevated and more custom. You're essentially hiring an online calligrapher. 
The price range here is $200 to $500 as well. So in some cases, it can be as much as using those minted.com services. So it's good to look into even, I think, especially if you have maybe on the smaller end of a wedding, like a smaller guest list, but you want it to feel more elevated. Let's say you have a 30-person wedding. This could be a way to really bring like a high-end element to your wedding day without a big expense. The highest end option really is hiring a calligrapher. So I would look on Instagram or Pinterest to find some seriously dreamy wedding calligraphers. They can customize everything from the envelope lining to the card itself with multiple pages, inserts, hand-addressed envelopes, even beautiful stamps and details. Local stationery shops also exist and you can sit in person with these designers to really curate a beautiful invitation. There's a range of pricing, but I would think budgeting at least $500, if not more, uh, for these custom masterpieces is wise. Many couples do like the keepsake, the elements of branding it brings to their event, and they will likely want to bring a copy of the invite and all of its pieces to be photographed in a flat lay on the day of the wedding. Many of you may be surprised. I mean, $200 for most couples is doable, especially ones who've been sticker shocked by every other phase of this process. So you're likely eager to get started and get this step done. I'll let you go for it and we'll circle back in part two to talk about how to address your envelopes. There's a lot of options, but for now, good luck and happy designing.